0: gentlemen, gentlemen. Fish. 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 it is my honor to introduce <laughs> principles of passion. principles
1: of Patch. chris thomas great
0: moments are born from great opportunity i followed my passion i have a dream and dominic Semina. you better
2: come to work this is it. perfection oh it's about to happen with
0: special guest omar yamini author mentor Five. keep going find that thing you love if you can find that thing that really gives you joy that'll be it
2: i had to stumble a little bit sometimes you have to fall stumble then just pick yourself back up and move forward we will be perfect
0: in every aspect of the game that's the gospel are you ready it's principles of passion come on sucker, sucker. let's get it on thank you thank you thank you i, I can't say it enough Truly honored and I'm humbled to be able to start this second season of Principles of Passion. Uh, to anyone listening in, blessings on blessings. Thank you. Uh, to my co-host Dominic Semino.
1: Hey guys, welcome back.
0: He's, uh, he's been here the whole time, just along for the ride, killing it. Thank you. Yeah, man. Thanks um, for having me. Yeah, for sure. And, and just, again, truly honored to have on a, a very special guest not that all of our guests aren't special, but when I think of what we're trying to do in bringing on guests that have overcome adversity while finding, defining, and following their passion, uh, there's no greater adversity in my mind than to spend 15 years in jail wrongfully accused. And so, Omar, uh, Thank you. Thank you very much, man, for coming on. Um, I'll leave it open for you kind of just to share a little bit about yourself and, and what, what your mission is right now.
2: Well, Chris, Dominic, first of all, thank you for the invitation. This is truly a blessing. Um, my story is, 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 is not unique. This is a story of, of African-American males across this country uh, targeted and, and, and going to prison either for crimes some of us did not commit or the uh, excessive time for some of the, uh, the smaller ones. And uh, as you said in the intro, 15 years in prison for uh, what I was charged with. is called first-degree murder under the theory of accountability. And in my work, when I travel around the country, uh, warning and educating our young people on this, these issues, they associate... Theory of accountability with guilty by association—that is like the common term, the common theme. So, they have that part right, but what they don't understand is the legal part, the the details of how you can be uh, charged in a group with the crime of of one person. Uh, for our young people, is theory of accountability in the state of Illinois when? I first introduced that to our youth, a lot of them think I'm making it up because it sounds crazy. It sounds like how can you, five people, one gun, one bullet, five convictions. Uh, what about the guy who actually did the shooting? You are gonna charge everybody with the murder? Yes. And that is, I found it in the beginning of my work, a tough sell for 15 year olds because it's illogical in their, in their way of thinking. It don't make sense to go to prison for a crime I didn't commit, especially young people when they are still in their innocence and they do not like being accused for something they didn't do, especially if you've got children or little people. Tell them they did something that they didn't do and watch, watch them go off.
0: Right, right. That's, that's powerful. And now you're using uh, this freedom. <laughs> Uh, for lack of a better term, because I think you know you're trying to free your mind from the system, but then also free it to be released. So you're using this freedom to go out and, and impact folks in a special way. What's the biggest challenge for you right now, as you as you just speak with the youth?
2: The biggest challenge is the conviction itself. When I'm glad we have a great a large movement in this country uh, about mass incarceration and ending it and 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 uh prison reform that thank god for that the biggest challenge for me and many others who come out of prison is for one when you're gone that long a time you lose your formidable working years while everybody's in school getting educated learning getting some information or learning a skill learning a trait and then go off into business and work and activate everything that they have learned and prepared for.
0: Right.
2: You come home 35, 40 years old as if you just got out of eighth grade. No skills, no work ethic, no, no, uh, no uh, relationship skills. And men have no idea how to interact with women and children. How can you? Right. You've been away from them uh, for so long. So we are talking about a complete... Um, resocialization of a human being. Twice, the first resocialization is going into this place that I call a dismal crypt. It's a, a sensory deprivation chamber, and then you have to adjust to all the everything that's unnatural, an unnatural environment. After that time period has ended, now you have to readjust yourself, re-socialize yourself to the real world, a world that didn't exist when you left it and then are expected to contribute to family and community right away with no education, no work skills, no work ethic. So that contributes, that adds to the intensity of the frustration that many people have coming home from prison, especially men, because we want to come home, we want to work, we want to get after it. But then this society of ours shuts the door on you. That frustration for some people, it drives them even more into whatever mental illness that they may have developed. Prison, you will develop mental illness in that place. Everything is still, it is devoid of colors. There is no very little, there's no touching. You know, we, there, we, you know yeah. we, that, that sensitivity, that basic human uh, interaction is gone. There are no women. Women is half of our lives. Every man is half a woman and every woman is half a man. That entire 50% is gone. The penitentiary is a place, is a society completely devoid of the female influence.
0: That's, I can't fathom that. That, that. That's tough. And I think it comes back to that theory of accountability, right? mm mm-hmm. uh, because if you don't want to go through that, then you need to hold yourself accountable to the company that you keep. And, and that's one thing that I really want to stress to some of our youth out there and our viewers. And one thing you and I uh, really had a good conversation about too. How, how do you do that? I, Personally,
2: I, did... I think it's the single most important piece. Yeah. That company you keep, yeah. not, it goes for young people the same way as it goes for adults. Yeah. That company you keep is crucial is critical because that group or those groups are the ones that are going to influence your behavior the most it's 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 you know how our parents are their greatest influences at first yeah, yeah. and then your peers your buddies come in right that's the second group that second powerful influence that group of people regardless on regardless of what they are involved in that's your crew that's your squad that's your clique you are probably doing what they're doing. So if you're hanging out with four fools, you're probably the fifth one.
0: Yeah. What would you say to folks, and I I was hard-headed when I was younger and I had the mindset like, nah, mom, I'm the leader. Like I'm gonna lead them Mm -hmm. away. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna lead them to the right path, mom. (laughs) What what would you say to folks that have that mindset?
2: I think it is, one of the great issues is the miseducation of our youth. We are not trained in early education, in preschool, first grade, second grade, third grade, uh, middle school, high school. We are not trained to resist the influences, the harmful influences that we encounter on a daily basis consistently. Now, we get those we like to call it home training, and then, especially when you see young people acting out first thing, <laughs> a lot of older parents or older people say, oh, this kid ain't got no home training. Well, this is our society now. So the school has to deal with that. I'm, one of the best things that I've seen happen in, in recent years is that you see school districts around the country adopting uh, what's called uh, SEL programs, uh, social emotional learning. They are restoring what some of these young people are not getting in the home. They are restoring the empathetic, uh, the empathy. They are restoring uh, how to communicate and socialize without it being violent. Uh, So it is refreshing. It pleases me to see that we have Chicago public schools, actually. Uh, is one of the school districts who are they have an entire office of SEL now and so that is a beautiful start to get our young people to restore the dignity uh, and the decency that I won't say loss but it definitely in some of our young people seems to be suspended
0: when yeah you're deprived of it and when you don't have the proper resources coming to your community and there's nothing prompting you to go look for them outside then
1: you have this wall this mm-hmm. wall up and it's not, it's not the real world. Um, and that's, uh, that's something that's really interesting. I did not know they started doing that. It's really good to hear they started implementing those SEL programs. Just, um, I just wanted to touch on that just because, you know, everyone, you know, the educational system, it, it takes you, it tells you what you're, what you're going to be in the long run, what you need to be, what you need to grow up to be. And if they're not getting this um, emotional interaction at home, and they can't go to school because the school, well, not can't go, but they don't get it at the school. It's like, where do you get that? And emotional learning is a big part of everyday life. And if no one ever teaches you how to um, control that, it can, it can lead to, like how you're saying, just bad outputs. Yeah. Like you just never know what to it, do with it, that it energy. It can be
2: devastating. I'm, I am so glad that many schools have abandoned that zero tolerance policy. Like, that is what a teenager does. Okay, yeah. that yeah. you are yeah. supposed to yeah. mess up, <laughs> yeah. right? right? It's the part low. of life. Yeah. So how do you have a policy for a kid that you was once a kid, yeah. right?
0: You messed up. You messed up. Yeah. These,
2: people, these are human beings creating no-tolerance policies as if they were never young teenagers. And expecting a, a child, an undeveloped mind, a 15-year-old, 16-year-old, undeveloped mind, to not ever lose their cool. Yeah. Knock it off. Just, just stop, please. Yeah. Never?
1: It's unreasonable. Yeah.
2: I, I just recently saw in the news, I don't want to get this wrong, I want to say it's either it, one of the states in the Midwest just uh, passed a bill in their state where they are going to charge these young people uh, with felonies for school ground fights. A school yard fight. You know, the, the stuff we did, somebody said something at the lunch table or fouled me too hard on the basketball court. Felony.
1: Not even a misdemeanor straight felony. For huh? being
2: a kid, for getting mad, not being able for,
1: to deal with for, aggression.
2: for not being able to deal with your emotions. Yep. Yeah. What teenager can?
0: What adult can. What adult can. Yeah. Yeah. So I want to shed some light on my newly purchased book for anyone uh, looking to pick it up. What's Wrong With You is what the book is entitled. Uh, My 15-Year Imprisonment from Age 20 to 35. Again, when you think about adversity, a lot of us Uh, put ourselves in uh, in situations to overcome adversity. Sometimes it's out of our control. Um, This is a situation for you Mm -hmm. where you had control over so much, but then there Mm -hmm. were some you didn't have control. So what prompted you uh, to write the book? It was the time. It was...
2: So when I turned 30 years old, One thing about prison, man, you see people around you. We came in young. We were young, Chris. Okay, I was 19. I just turned 20 years old.
0: Yeah.
2: And a bunch of friends of mine in there, we were young.
0: Yeah.
2: But we matured together. We went from 19, 20 years old to 30 and then to 35 when I was released. And it was in my early 30s. I was just watching these young 18, 19, 20-year-old kids come in, beat up, ripping and running, desensitized by the street life, um, and then get rest, some rest and relaxation. Because first things first, Chris, the drugs and the alcohol wear off. Okay? They wear off. Yeah. You're doing this time sober. Right. This is a sober mind being incarcerated and tossed into a bathroom-sized living space. So I'm watching these young men, after getting some rest, eating better, sleeping better, and then decide to take vocational classes or or whatever academic classes may have been available. And the mind was sharpening, right? Young brother bad now, his, his, his creativity uh, evolved, right? His, his mind is in a better place. And he's working and he's writing and he's reading and He's the type of, per- he is the kid that the mother, the parents and the grandparents would shed tears when they, when they see him. because they got their baby back. They got, I got my son back. This is what I was hoping for. Strong, sounding, intelligent, more articulate than I remember, right? right. Got some, some, we call it fat, got some fat on his head now. Yeah. Been doing some reading and some writing. <laughs> got some fat on his head. Yeah. And the young boy got 60 years to do, or life, right? It, it's hard. The world never sees these, these young people back, being nursed back to their human sensitivity. It's a phrase I use a lot. And they never see this child, this young person, not a child, this human being, this adult male, 22, 23 years old, ready for the world because he has his human sensitivities back and has been reading and studying, and that affected me so deeply. Because my mother used to say, Omar, you need to write a book. You need to write a book. It was when all of that hit me, resonated, that I said, okay, you know what? I have to tell this story. I have to help these young people understand what this prison life, what this prison culture is, how devastating it is mentally, and the damage, the mental and emotional damage that this culture has on the life of a human being, especially here. Well, I won't say especially, but in Illinois, Cook County is one of the the largest mental health facilities in the country. And if you have a mental health facility uh, in the county jail or in that area, and you're talking about 90-something percent conviction rate, What I'm saying is the penitentiary is a place that is influenced, heavily influenced by a bunch of men with mental illness. And no help. You have to fight through that, navigate inmates, prisoners. We have to navigate through those different types of personalities on our own with no guidance, nobody helping you to recognize a person with mental illness. So we got, we have our own term for them. We call them bugs. You know, people say, oh, he's crazy, he got a problem. No, we call him straight bug, you a bug,
0: beat it. Yeah. And that's how we dealt with it. Yeah. And, and the, the message is so clear uh, in that you have to really dig deep, right? When you talk about what's wrong with you, that's not. That's not pointing fingers. That's looking at deep down what what, what is the quote unquote wrong, mm-hmm. right? But then where does the change
2: come? So, in my in the curriculum we developed, the mission is to help our students internalize. This is prop proper perception. Yes. Okay. The proper perception. Our, my comprehending consequences program. Uh, as you in, when you intro me as an author uh and, and 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 curriculum design uh the mission is to help these young people internalize that's why part of the title i want you to and this is coming from within like like you just said now we're not pulling at the other person right. what characteristics of the types of personalities that i introduced to you not only in the book but throughout the curriculum do you have in yourself or in in, in your friends okay we're not pointing a finger at no else this is all on you what can you do to keep yourself out of prison all right. All right. not nobody else it's ironic that I was charged
0: with theory of accountability and let's talk because I know we we touched on it what happened can you can you walk and I, I, I don't want to get much into the case yeah I don't want you to I just want to kind of let the viewers kind of understand a little more. So
2: I was charged with uh, a murder that was committed by someone else. And that, it is the kind of charge that grabs a group of people for the actions of one person. It's a flat out how to grab as many black and African-Americans and Latino males as you possibly can get. It's like, get them all for one charge. Five people uh, in a group, it, it could be one gun, one bullet, one shot, and all five of them get charged with the murder or whatever happened to that person. That is real here uh, in the state of Illinois. So as far as, as what happened, that is what happened. I went to prison for that same law that grabs a group of people for one action. And it's a it is the damnedest thing on the books. It, it, it is nothing like it. I've, I've, I've known young people to get picked up and get cases put on them for sitting on an alley. OK, in a young 15, 16 year olds mind, especially in areas where there may be drugs, right? The logic of the kid says, you know what? I'm not touching these guns. I don't want no parts of no guns. I don't want no parts of drugs. I'll sit on the alley and tell you if the police coming, though. They locking them up for that. They will grab that young person and charge them for being on that alley, telling them the police coming and can ruin their lives again. This is why I do what I do, because I know I understand how 15 years... I was 15, and I remember my thinking at 15. I remember my thinking as a teenager. I'm watching our young people. When you tell them, when I explain to them the laws and the story, I have to point to them in my book. Like, no, no, I'm not a teacher. See, sometimes they don't... They think uh, I'm the professor or I'm the teacher until I break it down. No, because you don't know I've been to prison until I told you. Right? Right? I don't have the... You just don't know. Right? Right. Right? Right. Um, So... The first part is the convincing. Like LeBron, I just did 15 years for exactly what your mother been telling you all your life. Everything that, everything that people who care for you, parents, grandparents, teachers, anybody who care for you at any point in time in your life, they have always warned us about these issues, the company you keep and that you can possibly go down for something you didn't do it comes to life it doesn't come to life to these young people until it actually happens right. to them or a family member and that is the work i do I'm, we, to prevent you from doing something so stupid that it can cost you the rest of your life and chris when i tell you i known men 30 years old, 40 years old, just sitting in that prison cell, holding their head. Can't believe they still in prison for something foolish they did as a kid. Not as an adult, not as a, 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 a person with a family and, and paying a mortgage or paying rent and, and going to work and getting his kids ready. For, no, a 19 year old who has been under his parents influence his entire life or his grandparent or somebody else's care. And then to see this young person with 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years, it, 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 it is nothing like it. And uh, it is truly one of the most difficult uh, issues that we have in this country, especially involving African-American males.
0: And you said two things I want to I wanna touch on. Um, I want to wrap around what you think are the top three things that are affecting our criminal justice system priority. But before I do that, um, you brought up just a kid sitting on a corner. Um, What do you say to a kid that feels like he's pressured to do that, not only by a brother he lives with, a family member he may live with, but also the only people that he sees when he walks out of his door, right? The other drug dealers that are out there. And if you don't do this, you're going to get your ass beat. And excuse my language. But what, what kind of advice, other than the easy answer, go find help and support. Like, mm-hmm. What kind of advice do you give to someone like that?
2: That is the importance of what the schools around the country are doing with that SEL training, with that SEL foundation. It is providing... Daily, daily information and skills to help these people internalize that harm. Uh, the harm is not in the school. The harm is on the way to school and on the way home and in the neighborhood. The school, what place has our children the most? The school. The school. We hope. We, we six hours, eight yeah. hours a yeah. day, right?
0: Yeah.
2: That's a long time to have an audience. These young. Our school systems have captive audiences. And if they give them the proper information, that stays. It has to be consistent, Chris. It can't be. What bothers me is the black. Don't call the Black History Month uh, person you call in to talk about behaviors. Don't go to jail kind of thing. No. mm -mm.
1: It has to be consistent. You can't give something someone one day and then be like, okay, you're not going to see it again for a couple months or another year. Like, what kind of logic is that? There, There's no reinforcement behind that.
2: That's what, that's what my pro, that's why we designed a curriculum. For the consistency, for the sole purpose of the consistency. Like math, math and science, you got to do math and science a few times a week, right? Yep. To, for what? Recall. To retain it, yep. To keep it. Absolutely. So that is the purpose of this curriculum. Retention. To keep this information, to keep these warnings, to keep this education on the types of, of, of environments and the threats that are coming to try and influence you. And it don't matter who you are. Or where you, I come from a, uh, my, my parents. I have five brothers and sisters, four college graduates, an Air Force sergeant, a nine-time All-American uh, at, at the University of Iowa and played in the NFL for six years. That's how I grew up. Right. My parents moved us out of a declining neighborhood on the south side of Chicago and moved us out to the so we could have a better chance. So as a kid, oh, I had I I was living it up, you know, had perfect situation. So and it still happened. All my friends in high school were, you know, Division One talent, going to, you know, Big Ten schools and SEC schools, just moving around. But I still ended up in prison. Not a bad kid. No high school suspensions, no high school. I did not graduate high school, needing a half English credit. Now we'll get to that. Uh, that that's that's another piece. Uh, I hope we can uh, a road we can go down. But, Chris. They need help. They need consistent help, and they need the our education our educators to not be afraid and. And I'm just going to say it because it it, it it bothers me like to the core that. We have a lot of African-American educators in this country. Oh, I mean, a bunch of them with master's degrees and PhDs in education and prison is. Especially mass incarceration, it is pretty much our issue. So these educators have sons and nephews and uncles who have been in prison. They know what it is. They getting those phone calls. They're, they're sending money home. They're talking to their sisters and their brothers about, you know, this guy here, how's he doing in the penitentiary? So to resist a program that helps the people who are being targeted. It, it baffles me to see to know that there are not many programs in our schools such as i don't know if any be honest with you even our alternative schools these alternative schools are like last chance spots for kids yeah. like if we don't get them now you're going to prison i don't see these programs in these places so it's i'm looking I'm i'm pulling my hair out and i'm wondering what is going on with african-american administrators that they will not address a core issue that we have in this not just a particular community, but across the country. This is everywhere. Why won't you address this particular issue, especially with the, uh, the avalanche of SEL? So hopefully um, they see it and can uh, understand the urgency of a program like this. The, that crime bill was real. It wiped communities out across this country just left them vacant these young people out here who you see ripping around these teenagers 18 19 though these young people out here in these streets right now chris are the children of all of us who got swept up in the mid 90s
0: that's who they are scary man these are our kids Yeah.
2: now a lot of us are returning home which is interesting this is this this was 2019 a lot um, the men I spent a long time with in prison, a lot of them are home and, and coming home, and it's time for us to to work on uh, all the things that 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 we said we were going to do uh, and, and help these young people and help our communities and, and our families to just just to restore some some dignity and some decency in, in, in our behavior because this doesn't have to happen. We can fix. We can fix this ourselves, actually, if,
0: if we are committed to
2: it. Yeah,
0: yeah. That, I mean, everything that you say, like, I've had goosebumps the whole time um, because people don't hear about this enough and uh, how this can have an impact on, on a full community, let alone uh, the world itself and just the mindsets of people because uh, I, I think some people are scared to talk about. Things Mm -hmm. and what's going on,
1: and that's the Um, problem. It's like you said at the very beginning, you said it's unfortunate, but it's not an uncommon thing. Like they just don't talk about it, they shy away from it. But why? These are people that you know Mm -hmm. need the help. What do you
0: think are the top three things wrong with the criminal justice system right now in order of priority? With the first one you mentioned being the biggest thing wrong. Race, race, and politics. Race, race, and politics. When you say race... I said it twice, Chris. And when you say it the second time, um, do you feel that the onus needs to fall on both sides? Maybe not equally, but on the side of the criminal justice system, as well as the people. In There's the-
2: nothing wrong with the criminal justice system. Okay. There's something wrong with people. Okay. okay. These are people. Judges are human beings. Prosecutors are human beings. Police officers are human beings. Mm. There's nothing wrong with the system. There's something wrong with the people who can charge you or who can look at your case, your situation, and make a decision Having the authority to make a decision on what happens to your life. That's not the system. Those are human beings.
1: It's the mentality and that figure of authority that they can do it. They take it into their own hands.
2: I, I, I do not believe it's the system. I believe it is. Let's say we were to take good people with good intentions. And had them sitting on benches. Or prosecutors who were not. Uh, concerned about getting convictions, right? How would, our, how would our society look if we had more people who just were not targeting a, a, a certain group of people? If we weren't targeting African-American communities, if we weren't targeting uh, uh, Latino males, if we weren't targeting these two groups, right? What our conviction rate would look the same as the white male conviction rate. It's not in my opinion, some people may you know people yeah, yeah, for opinion. Sure. some for people sure. think the system is completely broken. the system is there it's the people who are in those positions who are making these decisions that are, are are persecuting certain groups
0: so let me ask you this would you then say that the system is broken? We can say what we want to say about it right. I don't know i People are broken. Yeah, people have issues, Chris. How so? How can and that, I'm always just trying to understand uh, how to.
2: I remember when I was in trial. Course. I had a judge. I'm in. I'm on trial for murder. Yeah, the judge was up there looking through his newspaper. There's something wrong with people. Yeah, Chris. How do you? When I got arrested, when I was getting arraigned, yeah. I was. Had to be. I got arrested. I was in the county jail day number two, two and I had to go see the chief judge. And we walk in. The, we go in the courtroom and it's split off half of us who was just new on the new. That's what we call it. The guys who just arrived. And on this side was like family and attorneys. Right. Split down the middle. A door opens. Here comes all these prosecutors walking in white. All of them white. They come in chatting, kicking it hanging out like they just saw a movie, just went to lunch, all had a good time together, right? They walk up to this bench, they get their dockets, their case files or whatever, right? Looked at, turned and walked right back out the door. Not one time did they looked at this stuff and see who the people they were about to prosecute. We were business as usual to them. They did this so much, overwhelmed by so many, especially the public defenders. Oh my God, you give a public defender so many cases, how the hell is he supposed to do anything? But the point I'm making is the people are the ones, human beings are the ones who are making these decisions on who to prosecute, how to prosecute them, how much time. A judge, is not the system, a judge is the one who says, you know what, this boy came from a good home, so I'm not going to charge him with rape. That's not the system. That's a human being made oh, that decision. Yeah.
0: If they feel sorry for him for some reason, yeah. not right. but not yeah. sorry for this guy here. Right? Exactly. Yeah.
2: So, so the empathy, they have more empathy for their own than they have for others because what they were still raised in America. They, some people have, some of, some of these, I'm not putting this on everybody. I swear I'm not. Okay. I'm talking about the ones who make these decisions, who continuously, uh, uh, Make us say the system is broken because there's some people who do the right thing, absolutely right. And if we had more of that type who's not worried about an election, who's not under the pressure, under any political pressure, who have the
0: courage to do the right thing, and like to that, and that's why I struggle so much with that balance between the people and the system because for me. I look at a system as a way of doing things, but why do something that's not working? Mm -hmm. And so you can't change. You could change people Mm -hmm. to a certain extent. People are going to do what they want at the end of the day. Why not try and change the system so that it weeds out the bad and, and harnesses the good. And so I try and focus less on what I can change. I can't change the way someone is gonna do something or react, I could change the way they're gonna think about it. What I can do is develop a system that gets them to think differently. And so I, I struggle with that. Is it the person or the system? Well, you it's know? it's
2: it's the same as, let's go to race. You have a white kid and a black kid. Same similar crime, right? Same judge. This kid, the white kid, gets a more lenient, both of them first-time offenders. He gets a more lenient charge than this one, than the black kid does. You know who makes that decision?
0: The judge. judge. How do you, and there's probably no answer to this, right? Because, but how do you fix the systematic part of that? Because race is always going to be there. There's always, Because from the time of before we could speak, we were separated by the color of our skins. Mm-hmm. So because we know that's always going to be there, mm-hmm. how do we focus on the systemic piece of it so that that forces the people to act accordingly? That's the politic part.
2: I said race, race, politics. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Right?
0: Yeah. Laws.
2: Get rid of prosecutorial Immunity. What is that? Ooh.
0: And for those of us that don't know, can you explain more? <laughs> it,
2: it means a prosecutor can not be charged with doing some bogus stuff to you, and he know he doing it. Bottom line, I'm gonna put it straight layman's terms. He know you may be innocent of these charges. There's evidence to suggest it, and he prosecutes you anyway, and leaves it up to you to put forth your appeal to get yourself out. He cannot be He or she cannot be charged with a crime for doing
0: that. That is crazy.
2: It's nuts.
0: That the right thing, you're not forced to do the right thing. That's crazy. That's very America. Yeah. So again, race,
2: race. The politics can change it, especially we're witnessing that with this current administration and how uh, uh, the two parties are clashing and going after each other, right? All you gotta do is change some laws here here and there, and people fall in line with the laws after a certain while, okay, you know, we lost that battle. Okay, fine, they won, just do it. The right. politics can, can change the way judges uh, operate from that bench. The politics can change the way prosecutors uh, prosecute citizens. And the politics can change the way uh, the police interact with citizens, the accountability piece. Right. Put accountability on all three, on, on, on the law and the judicial system mm-hmm. and, and see what type of remedies. Watch these numbers plummet. Yeah. Give up these laws. It's like, it's like the civil rights laws. They didn't just stop beating us down because all of a sudden, oh, wait a minute, this is wrong. We can't hurt these people like this. No. This country had to pass laws to make us stop getting terrorized. So you have to pass laws to make people stop doing things to other people. Yeah. No different. They didn't just have an epiphany. Oh, this is no, right, you know what? We're not going to hurt no more black folks. Yeah, come on in. <laughs> no. They had to pass laws to stop that right. across this country.
0: Yeah. What do you think has been the, the toughest lesson for you to take? all this.
2: I, you know, I've never been asked that question. Uh, the toughest lesson.
0: I would have to think on that. Uh, think on it. I got to think on that, Chris. Come back to it. Yeah, we come back to it. Um, let me ask you this. What was the most difficult uh, thing for you to do in jail?
2: The most difficult thing is just missing your family. That is tough, man. Everybody's growing up. Kids, Losing, getting teeth, p- children being born, your brothers and sisters having babies, people getting older, uh, die, people dying on you. Um, prison is, uh, there's nothing like, one of the most jury things, in my opinion, is watching and seeing a counselor come down, uh, come down the gallery or to your cell and knocking on your door, because he got some bad news, right? Um, men we struggle because we left our families, especially the ones who were the sole caretakers. That's tough because it you never get over leaving your family behind. And I'm saying these with men with children. I didn't have any children at the time, right? So for me, I didn't have that burden. Uh but family is the single most uh is the greatest challenge to get over and to and to deal with because you are watching you're not even watching you hear state tales hear stories and get pictures of additions to your family and people dying and there is there's nothing there is no uh, way to um to go through that to explain that without experiencing it yeah. yeah so that family is number one number two and number three for most people in prison uh, that that support system because you need it you definitely need it uh because that place it could care less if you live or die the guards the behavior and a lot of inmates a lot of got a lot of the ones who have thrown in the towel and decided you know what uh and this is one thing that bothers me about prison because you have some men who will say, "You know what? Since they treat me like an animal, I'ma act like it." And you have some guys who just take that on, they adopt it, and they, and now you are behaving like they, like they want you to behave. Yeah. Give you give more reasons to create additional laws or uh, additional prisons uh, within prisons. When I segregation type places where you, I don't know if you remember TAMS or or Pontiac. Tams was like a Supermax that was closed down. But, uh, but we have here in Illinois, it may be open now, but, uh, uh, but guys used to get sent to Pontiac uh, in prison. It's, it's more for segregation. It's the prison within the prison. So you give ammunition uh, uh, to, to lawmakers to do, to create even more harsh punishments for people.
1: So I have to ask, how, how did you say so strong-willed, like throughout those fifteen years, like not succumbing to any of those like emotional overwhelmings?
2: You know what? First, number one, it, it, faith, 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 uh, God-fearing. Uh, Two, family, and then the last part is was me, uh, m- my will, to not want to be influenced by that culture, right, and. So I was like, that came about 25 years old. I was like, you know what? No, I don't want no parts of this. This is madness. These people are crazy as hell. These bugs. Everybody is a bug. Uh, the guards, the administration could care less about you. Uh, and I had to stay busy. And my family was real uh, influential, real supportive uh, in, in that piece. Um, so it was kind of. It's interesting. The behavior of men who had strong family support, you can kind of tell. You know what I mean? yeah. It was a, it's a different it, we walk different. You know, we spoke different. There was hope. You know, there was there was hope that when when my sentence end, my family, especially the families that had some 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 uh, some social capital, right? My family can is strong enough and educated enough, and professional enough to uh, add me to their networks, you know, to reach out to their people who they know and say, okay, this is my son, this is my daughter, Uh, we need some help, y'all, you know, calling in all favors. That's a beautiful thing to have. For the men who did not have that, it was a struggle for many of them, not all. Some were just iron will, when they can, I mean, you, 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 prison is an interesting place, man. Prison is a, it's a, It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a culture. It's a, it's a, it's a society. It is a society of captives and it's a microcosm of what we have here. Just all male. Um, so the struggle is finding the peace, keeping that mind active. That's what, that's dangerous. Prison, prison will lull you to sleep. Okay. You reading because you have nothing much to do. Uh, if some places the libraries are a tragedy, Right? It's like almost as if it is intentional that you got this raggedy books and types of information on these shelves that nobody cares about. But you ban all the good stuff. I had some, we just got some places in, in this country that my book, that book that you got right there, is banned, is not allowed in the prison. In fact, I had a prison, I sent that book to some friends of mine who I did my time with. And they sent it back. The book was banned. Because they they, They control, Just control of information and hope and and getting your life together. You know what I mean? Or if they may feel that the prison is being bad-mouthed, banned. Don't let it in. So prison, prison is the world's greatest frustration. That's what it is. If you can figure out a way. To navigate to live through the day-to-day frustrations then and the best thing to do that is that inner peace whether it is for me it was faith you know uh, for other and and religion and for others is meditation of some kind or you know activities staying busy staying trying to you know get assignments. I won't call them jobs because there's no jobs in prison. We got thirty cent a month. But excuse me, thirty cent an hour. Fifteen dollars a month. Wow. Mm-hmm. What's that? They're about thirty cent an hour or something like that? That's what that's what that was the <laughs> that was our pay. It's called state pay. And you better go get you some, some hygienic products with that little fifteen dollars if you don't have that family support. Right. So frustrations uh, there is the biggest frustration in prison to me was in illinois we have a they have a what's called trafficking and trading right dominic yes i if if the officers saw me handing you some these right here mm-hmm. he can come take it from me right write me a disciplinary ticket and take away my privileges or possibly send me to segregation right all I'm doing Dominic told me he was hungry so I gave him some chips and some cookies neighborly needs basic human my man hungry I got some extras over here here you go Dominic we would have to go in the back around out of eyesight for me to hand him that and then he would have to take what I gave what I gave him and tuck it under his shirt hide it he gotta hide it because the officer could take it from him we talking about a bag of chips, Chris. We're not talking about nothing else but a damn bag of chips and some cookies. And will take my rights from me. No visits. No visits. No phone calls. You can't call your family. No visits. Your family can't. We, we were allowed to have small TVs and, and little radios. That take that from me. Put me on restriction for thirty months. Uh, excuse me, three for months. For but not just not for eating. Of feeding a needy person Chris those are the frust- those are the types of frustrations that build up the stress and the and the ang- the mental and emotional uh, 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 anguish that that I speak about in my book and and, and what I warn our young people about you, you you have not witnessed that level of petty ever especially when it comes to Doing neighborly needs.
0: Moving, man. It's it's a sad uh, issue. Mm-hmm. And, and I, don't, I don't see it changing, unfortunately, anytime soon. Um, what I do see changing, to your point, is the different programs that they are putting into the schools uh, to educate people. Uh, because before folks go into jail, they need to be educated. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll leave you kind of with this last question. What would have been some things, um, let, me, let me restate that, what mindset or activities could you have put in place of what you were doing uh, when you were hanging with the wrong crowd? So
2: for me, that's a story. Because, and this is a dangerous time. I did not graduate high school. I went to high school. I went just all twelve years. No suspension. I do not remember ever being suspended from school. I had some in school stuff, talking crazy to a teacher, go sit down in the office for the rest yeah. of the day, kind of things like that. Never suspended, sent home for you know the ten day whatever that is yeah. thing, ever in my life. Uh, well, I take that back. I remember in eighth grade, we we got caught doing some stuff at the school, and I got. Uh, but high school. I did not graduate needing a half a credit. That time, that age in a young person's life is so critical. So when all my friends graduated, went off to college, right? Job course, some of them went to the armed services. There I was floating in that no man's land. That place where young kids who have not prepared for their futures or have nothing to do after high school, have no jobs lined up or no schooling lined up. They just out here, Chris. Floating. Nobody has to hold their hand anymore that you, it does not register on you, on the young person, how well they have been provided for until you are 18 years old, until you graduate high school and ain't got, nobody has to hold your, nobody got to give you nothing. And you have no plans and you just out here. So that happened to me. And so I came out here floating right after high school, needing a half English credit and I did what so many young people do. I found me something to do. Found me some things to get involved in. My, my the people I grew up with, my high school buddies, they were gone.
0: So they went only, off to You only had the people that were left to hang out with.
2: I found some new friends. Yeah. 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 Gone. Everybody went off to and then the thing about <laughs> it's it's funny. It, well, that's another road. Another
0: a tale for another time. Um So keeping your head in the books, you think, could have helped for sure, for sure. That's one thing. Had I graduated? Oh, had I graduated, this would have never happened. Yeah.
2: No way. No, no. I would have went off to doing whatever. You know, I had a group of friends that went down to some uh, HBCUs. I probably would have
0: went with them. What could you have done differently even having not graduated? If you just again, I know we don't ever want to regret something. If you look back on it though, mm-hmm. would there be something you would do differently? Well, of course. Yeah, of course. How, well, what looking back be? on it, yeah, yeah, looking back on it, of course, the hindsight is you know, you, you're brilliant with hindsight. We, what would you have done differently in terms of that time period where, hey, half credit short? Oh, I know what I would have done differently.
2: Uh, because after that half credit, I went straight to summer school. Okay, Chris, my whole life is a story. So after high school, that half credit, I went to uh, a friend of mine wanted to join the Navy, right? We didn't, we we didn't have nothing to do. I didn't think I was going to graduate. I mean, I knew I wasn't going to graduate because they let me know the English teacher. (laughs) I had an English teacher that was retiring. He took me with him. Right, he said, I mean, he have been playing all this time. You, nope, I can't let you do it. Right, didn't give me the half credit. Uh, number one, um, so he wanted to go to the, this Navy thing. We go down to, what is it? Is it Great Lakes? Yeah, yeah. Where the base is up there? So we went up there and passed the test aptitude. Passed the aptitude. We fresh out of high school, so the information was still on our brains. Killed the aptitude test, but I didn't have a high school diploma. So they couldn't let me in i guess i chris i have been sworn in to the united states navy okay but they had to give me the the discharge because i didn't have credit the credit so i go to uh south suburban college in the south suburbs and i was taking the class uh the, the guy that i was with fails the aptitude test he the one who wanted to go in the body system. I really was like, I, you know, I just need to do something with my life. He, my man, that's my buddy. I'm not going to say your name on here. <laughs> Fails the aptitude test. And all of a sudden, I didn't want to do this no more. So I stopped going stop school, stop to class. Didn't go to the Navy. Yeah. The, what's the the recruiters looking for me, coming to the school, knocking on my mother's door. And so I'm ducking them. And where can I duck them? In the street. So I'm ripping and running. Partially the, the, the original reason I was hiding from these recruiters. I'm, mm, I ain't going to no Navy. My man gone. I, this was his idea. Now, if they was going to keep us together for a first part, we, if I decided I like this later, maybe. The f- initial move out of the house and ripping and running the streets was ducking the Navy recruiters. Wow. And that's how it all
0: began. But you know what? You're here, man. You're here. And without that, you would not be able to touch the people that you're touching. And and without going through the the grit, the perseverance, um, you wouldn't have the message that you have right now that is influencing so many people out Mm -hmm. there right now. And so I can't thank you enough. Um, Again, our mission for Principles of Passion is to bring on folks that are truly overcoming
1: adversity. And this Um, was very moving.
0: Yeah, Yeah.
2: but I needed to be more than moving, Chris. We have to warn and educate these young people on these influences that that can like derail everything you and your family that you're planning for your futures. They have to read this book. One thing about this book. So we had a we had a school district made it mandatory reading a couple years ago for all the freshmen. Uh, in the district. We've had other school districts added to their social science classes or uh, their English classes uh, or their social justice classes. Nothing but excellent reviews from the principals, from the teachers, from the superintendents at the different school districts, even at the universities. Uh, we have a university dean here who called in Chicago who is saying my book is the best thing he had read since the autobiography of Malcolm X. Felt so powerful about it that even invited me to the to, to UIC to address the entire uh, a faculty and staff of the college education that's what this is so we talk we're not talking fluff here right, right we're talking something that is 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 more powerful than my story because it is intentional and it gets after the core issues that some that some parents I'm not gonna call them neglectful some of them are I'm gonna be honest you know what I'm straight for some parents are neglectful uh, and some just can't give their children what they don't have it's just flat That's just what it is um, but it helps fill that void because it's not a once a month guy coming in to speak this is something you are going to do maybe twice a week uh, consistent. Uh, uh, consistent where you when you leave out of here you are mindful. If I go over here with these guys, or if I jump into this fight, they're gonna lock my money up for the rest of my life. Because one thing about a fight, you have no idea what's going to happen. Okay. It's unpredictable. And I warn you. Okay, what you gonna do if you get into a fight? I'm gonna do this. I said, you know, you don't, you don't know what you're gonna do.
1: No of the fights with answers. You don't no know
2: what's fights. gonna happen. Somebody. <laughs> anyway, that's. A... So uh, that's. That's the work. That's the mission. That's the passion.
0: This is it. What's wrong with you? Um, I would love for people to get out and get this book. Um, I think that's probably the best way that you can support Omar right now. So you have two organizations, though, as well. Touch on those real quick just so people know other ways that they can
2: support Well, the the proper perception is the name of my company um, in which we uh, promote and push this curriculum as well as my speaking engagement. So when I, I also am a public speaker, so I come into schools and, and, and I take our youth through my prison experience. Uh, and what I have recently added is uh, workshops. After that presentation to go along with this curriculum, I do workshops for the schools and, and, and professional developments for the staff to uh, you know, share ideas on how to best implement uh, this, this program. Um some people don't like to use the term at-risk children. I I'm not one of those people. Some of our young some of these kids yeah. flat out need if we don't get them right now, we're going to lose them. Okay? To me, that kid right there, that young person is at-risk. We better get him now. Now, there are others who are not uh as impressionable so they can fight off some of the influences. Uh, that others can't. No different than a household in, in the, on the block. Where all the boys. All the you know three brothers. Uh, Live that life. But one of them decided. No, I don't want no person. He's in that environment. But his will. He was strong enough. Either he was protected. God protected him. Or his will. He was strong enough to resist. The very same things that succumbed his brothers. So we know that story. We know it's out there. But if we don't educate and warn our young people about the influences that they encounter every single day, the type of influence that they lead to prison, and I'm very specific on that. I'm not talking about influences that may caused you to start smoking cigarettes and and, and, and drinking. at a, as I'm talking about going, well, I guess that could lead, especially alcohol. Absolutely. I'm talking about the harmful behaviors that will offset your entire life. People who go to prison live a life of perpetual poverty. That number is in the 80 percentile range. Especially those who spent as long a time as I have. There's, what do you do? You are a 40-year-old man, 50-year-old. You are a 50, 40, 50, sometimes 60-year-old man coming home to a world that didn't exist when you left it. And your parents are aging. My mother said said that to me once. And I never forgot it. She said, Omar, y'all coming home at 40, 50, 60 years old, and you don't have any ethic, any work ethic, any history and your parents, if they're still alive, they're getting older. You have absolutely no idea how to care for your aging parents. And I said, damn.
0: It saddens me and it's, it's an epidemic. Um, we could probably talk another two or three hours hmm. about this. Um, and, uh, and I'm sure that we will. Um, love to have you back on yeah. again. For those of you tuning in, please, please, please uh, go out and do research on Omar. Um, if you have a school that's in need right now, um, please direct them to him and to his curriculum that he's trying to get out there. Um, it's very powerful stuff, and as you can hear from everything he said, uh, he's very passionate about this, uh, and so. I'll, I'll leave it with that. I want to thank everyone just for, for sticking through uh, everything that we've gone through. There's a lot in the background <laughs> uh, with, with your passion first and obviously principles of passion uh, and really just trying to keep our mission strong of bringing on folks that have overcome adversity while finding, defining and following their passion um, with your passion first. Uh, we are looking to be the industry leader in workforce readiness festivals workshops and events uh, we are working on developing our curriculum as well mm-hmm. as getting our first event lined up for next june so a lot of things uh, from a legal from a compliance from a marketing standpoint uh, but again the mission uh, is is to change mindsets and overcome stereotypes and uh, omar is is doing just that with his company with his book and so we appreciate you again dominic as always thank you very very much for your time your commitment and and just you being you man and to everyone out there um, just keep in mind it's hard to follow your dreams if you don't don't put put your passion passion first first. thank you see y'all soon